1: Well, hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is May 5th, 2016. Oh, my goodness. We have the greatest guest today, and we're going to have a, a great conversation about the state of the medical field. We'll be talking about Obamacare and some other things, so stay tuned in because you're going to learn a lot, and I suspect in a lot of ways it's going to be rather life-saving. Our special guest is Dr. Leah Curtin, and she's an internationally recognized nurse leader. She's a speaker and a consultant in the nursing field and a big advocate for the nursing profession, as well as the quality of patient care. She's the executive editor of the American Nurse Today And it's the official journal of the American Nurses Association and a clinical professor of nursing at the University of Cincinnati College of Nursing and Health. She has authored over 360 articles, primarily published in peer-reviewed journals, which, by the way, is very difficult to do. And she has over 450 editorials. I could go on and on. I think instead we'll bring the living legend in nursing onto our show now. Hello doctor uh, Kirsten. Hi,
2: how are you? Tonight. I tell you it's wonderful that today is Cinco de Mayo, the Day of the Dead. Huh? Cinco <laughs> de Mayo. And we are going to be discussing healthcare, especially <laughs> consider, considering that uh, the um uh the study that was released in the um Journal, uh, uh, Jama, Journal of the American Medical Association, which indicates that the third leading cause of death in the United States is medical error. So you can see why today is a particularly apt uh, uh, apt day to be discussing this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say, yes, and and I don't mean I don't mean to be facetious. uh, Of course, a very serious thing. I know, Uh, but. Uh, I I don't know what you would like me to respond to first, so I'll let you ask the questions.
1: Well, I always like to ask my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Where did it first start?
2: Well, I think it started when I was a visiting nurse. Uh, back in the 1960s, I was a visiting nurse uh, in greater Cincinnati area. But I saw... A great deal of poverty. I saw people die, be, children even, because we didn't have antibiotics for them. We had no health care programs at all. Um, there, it was just mind-boggling. And, and things certainly have improved over then. How's that? I can say one very positive thing. <laughs> things are better than they were back in the 60s mm-hmm. when people had nothing. Uh, yes. But um, now uh, we are uh, facing a number of problems. Uh, and uh, I've seen my own profession grow and expand and increase in knowledge and, and in its ability to respond to the public's need. But, again, we're doing so many studies now nowadays that we're finding out lots of things we don't want to know, but which is probably very important for us to know. Uh, the, Such the, the study well for example um, i was a strong advocate of obamacare and i certainly am as you can imagine because of seeing children die without even as much as an antibiotic why i i, I think we need to have health care available to all americans however i'm uh, very concerned about the uh, the uh, aca or, or what's commonly called Obamacare, principally because of the difficulties that are coming out as we rolled out the plan. For example, uh, in the Obamacare plan, there is something called uh, the family glitch, which essentially means this. According to the law, Employers who offer health insurance must offer health insurance that is affordable for their employees, correct? Yes. Yes. But the problem is this. It doesn't include the employee's family.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: Exactly. So that if, let us say, I'm your employee and you're offering me affordable health insurance, that's just fine. But I happen to have several children. What about them? Mm-hmm. Well, let's say if I'm employed by you and I'm not and I'm making enough money to live, but I I need help paying for my health insurance, even though we've got Obamacare, which is essentially an organized form of uh, of uh, health care through health insurance agencies. Well. Okay, maybe I can't afford it. And I might be eligible for a deduction, but it would only count for me, not for my family. Or worse, I can afford health care for myself, but when they add on the family, which most of us do when we're employed, Mm -hmm. uh, then I can't afford it. And I'm not only that, but because I'm making enough money, I am not eligible for any help. Now, what this has added up doing is having health care plans that I have to take because I don't make enough money and I'm not eligible for any of the uh, help that is made available through the Affordable Care Act. I have to get a $12,000 deductible plan, and that $12,000 deductible renews every year. Maybe I have as much as a 40% copay, I can't afford to get sick. I can't afford for my children to get sick. I can't afford to use the health insurance I have. That's Mm -hmm. the family glitch. And I can tell you that has to be fixed. Mm -hmm. That has to be fixed. Uh, However they fix it, Okay, but it has to be fixed so that we have affordable health insurance. Whether it is through some private plan or whether it is through the government or with with the uh, uh, the, the, the uh, exchanges you can go to, or whether it's through my employer, I have to be able to afford insurance for myself and for my immediate family members, especially my children. It's really and right now we don't have it. It is. It, all we have now basically in many ways for many workers is catastrophic health insurance. And even then it doesn't cover. For example, I will tell you, that I have a member of my family uh, who has been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. He's a young man in his 40s, okay?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they don't give him much hope. But his plan is a $12,000 deductible. Oh. Okay. And he was diagnosed in December, and with all the tests and so on, he paid up $12,000, but then it was January, and he owed $12,000 again. Worse, on top of that, he has a 40% copay. And if you have one, let's say... Uh, MRI mm-hmm. that'll cost you about three thousand dollars. Well forty percent copay is fifteen hundred dollars on top of his twelve thousand deductible, and that's only for one test, and that doesn't include any of his medicine, and that's another problem with the with the Affordable Care Act. There is no control on how high insurance companies can raise the cost of medicine. And what they do is, is they, they get some drug that's been around forever, let's say aspirin, and they put a little different ingredient in the aspirin and then they sell it for 10, 15, 20, even 5,000 times what the original mm-hmm. cost of the drug was. And mm-hmm. there is no control over that. And there is no control over how much the insurance companies can charge me for my family plan. That. These are some of the big problems. Then we have another problem with many states not even enabling people to afford Medicaid, which is uh, they've actually raised the rate of Medicaid so that far fewer families can achieve Medicaid status, and therefore they've got to get these terrible policies for themselves and their families. Mm. So you see, middle class America is being hurt, and it's being hurt badly.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And and this is these are big problems. So the premiums are going up, deductibles are very high, copays are high, and it's even happening with with um, uh, Medicare patients. Um. So we we have some significant fixing to do if we're going to mm-hmm. keep. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, it can't stay as it's written. It, it's just it's enabling by uh, uh, keeping many people out of the care they need, and therefore we get them when they are catastrophic rather than getting them in when we could do something much less expensive that might save their lives.
1: Yes, I had heard. I had heard that the deductibles were quite high on plans, but I had no idea that families—it's families, it's families
2: um, who are hurt, and
1: that your were, are hurting that.
2: Is who's, yes, and your middle class, uh, lower middle class, middle class Americans are the ones who are hurting the worst. You know, your Well,
1: upper if they class, don't have. Uh, So if they end up with a very sick child, they're going to be paying for it for probably the rest of their lives.
2: Yes, if they can even pay for it. And I can tell you what's happening is many of them can't. In fact, uh, we're told that the average American family lives from paycheck to paycheck.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, -hmm. that
2: being the case, then if, let's say, my child is, God forbid, hit by an automobile, and they take him to the hospital, and they they're saving his life and that's wonderful, but i don't i I don't have the twelve thousand dollars. I can't pay the deductible I don't have it. It isn't that I wouldn't pay it. I'd pay anything to save my child, but I don't have anything to pay with no. and then what happens is the hospitals end up having to absorb those costs which the people can't afford to pay mhm mhm and so hospitals many of them uh particularly public hospitals are really hurting because they they have such uh, a high uh, amount of of uh, unpaid bills mm-hmm. yeah unpaid collections yeah. and um so this is this is Probably, in my opinion, the biggest mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. You see? And then the second biggest problem, in my opinion, is the uh, is, is the drug companies, and that includes the generic drug companies, which are just as likely to raise costs beyond people's ability to pay mm-hmm. uh, as uh, the uh, the ones that are not generic. At any rate, um, I'm not happy with where things are going in healthcare today. And then this study came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which said that the third leading cause of death in the United States are physicians, or pardon me, medicine. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I heard on the NPR program today about this. And uh, they had several doctors talking, and they were saying, "Well, physicians are making errors." Well, yes, physicians make errors. They're human beings; they make errors. Yes, but they are not making all these errors. Some of them Correct. are being made by nurses. Some of them are being made by pharmacists. Some of them are due to screwed up, overwhelmed caregivers who are given no more than a few minutes with every patient. Mm-hmm. Um. Some of them are due to infections in hospitals. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on today that you just, for example, you know that stuff that's supposed to sanitize your hands? Yes. Yeah, well, it doesn't sanitize them. Guess what it does? It smears the germs around. That's about all. You <laughs> want to sanitize oh, no. your hands, wash them with soap and water. It's the best thing you can do. And wash them for, uh, well, we tell the children, wash them for, for as long as it takes you to sing Happy Birthday to you twice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so you, uh, So in other words, you, you or you can sing the ABCs. Either way, you have to wash your hands and then your hands are clean. But all this squirting, this stuff on your hands, I'm probably going to get sued, but I can't help it. All you're doing is swearing germs around. Mm. And, of course, we have people receiving many drugs and many times they don't need them. This is a a very significant problem uh, of misdiagnosis and also of um, um, forgetfulness. In other words, here's another personal example. I have a friend who had to go in and have a pacemaker put in. Now, before she was on her pacemaker, she was taking uh, several drugs, very important drugs, drugs to regulate her heartbeat. Amiodarone was the name of that drug. Uh, She was on Coumadin to keep her blood from clotting because it wasn't circulating effectively, and so on, okay? They put the pacemaker in, which automatically means that the, the, the heartbeat is regular and normal. Which means she doesn't need the amiodarone, and she doesn't need the Coumadin. And guess who? Nobody discontinued those drugs, and therefore she she almost died. Do you see? So it Mm -hmm. isn't just the giving of wrong medications. It's the failing to, let's say, unprescribe or Mm -hmm. discontinue the subscription, to the drugs that people no longer need because we've done something else to take care of the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you you can see there are a number of problems, and then the problem of infections is absolutely terrible. I I personally think that that is probably, other than inappropriate drugs, uh, that, that infections in hospitals are the number one cause of, of death in hospitals. I mean, other than your disease itself. But yeah. uh, at least of the errors that i made, it's infections. The infection mm-hmm. problem in hospitals is significant. So I guess what I'd say is uh, be glad they're sending you home early these days. <laughs> <laughs> we used mm. to keep people around forever. Now we send them home before the anesthesia's is off their breath, and trust me, they're safer. Oh, so, uh,
1: what a state of affairs! Have,
2: yeah, we have a significant state of affairs uh, in the U.S., and we have increasingly elderly population, which will make increasingly more demands uh, on on the uh, resources we do have. Um, so, I don't know what more to say. Well, should I shut up and let you ask me some questions?
1: <laughs> well. Is there anything in Obamacare that's actually helped improve the health of Americans?
2: It, it has made health care available to people who didn't have it and who couldn't afford it. Um, uh, the uh, the uh, unemployed uh, children, uh, uh, the children of uh, working Americans um poor the poor it has helped a great deal mm-hmm. it, it really has it has made it has made health care available to them uh which they had they had nothing before uh so that that is that is a great help and it oh, has also good. enabled us to use some of our healthcare care professionals to the uh, to the maximum of their ability. Uh, because we are starting outpatient clinics, we are incorporating nurse practitioners uh, with physicians uh, in a very collaborative arrangement, thus expanding the availability of healthcare care so there are some good things about that uh, and 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 the uh, there's also a, a requirement for transparency in the law, so that you can now go online and you can find out uh how likely you are to die if you go to this hospital <laughs> you are you are able to find out who does the most how problems who takes care of strokes who and who does the best at it and and all of this is because of the affordable care act and the the information that is collected and so the government has made this uh, information available and this information is extremely useful
1: What's your opinion uh, of the, of the elect- what's your opinion of the electronic uh files? The
2: electronic health record? Mm-hmm. Well, I think this, I the think transition into that, use, actually. if we use um if if we use electronic methods uh of ordering drugs, we could probably save a lot of lives.
1: That's what I was thinking. In other
2: words, uh we can because it won't let physicians order things people are allergic to. Mhm. Mhm.
1: Uh, it it
2: won't. If there is an incompatibility uh in the drugs the patient is getting, uh the uh the system itself won't allow that order to be filled unless unless the physician himself goes in and overrides it.
1: Oh, that's uh, great.
2: Uh, not only that you can actually read uh, the prescription the physician is uh, or, ordered, so you know what what it is the patient's supposed to get uh, so there is uh, there is a great benefit to computer assisted um, uh, prescriptions. Um, I have some problems with the health information systems. In general, because they make it very hard to find information uh, on the patient's chart. That doesn't mean it's impossible. You can find it, but you really have to look. So that doing chart audits is very difficult. And if you can't do chart audits, it's very hard to know uh, if your institution is fulfilling its obligations. That's really So I have good and bad things to say about it, but mostly good. Then there's the politics of (laughs) health care, which is uh, getting particularly interesting. So we'll have to deal with that as it comes along. Uh, But... uh, the Bipartisan Center for a Responsible Federal Budget. I put out a review of what uh, Mrs. Clinton is proposing if she is elected. Uh, of course, understand all a president can do is propose. It's Congress who is going to pass it or not, as the case may be. That's very true. Uh, true, so that you can promise a way, but you don't have to. You don't have to deal with it. You can just say, "Well, it's Congress's fault if nothing happens." But one of the things they want to do is repeal the, quote, Cadillac tax on high-cost health care plans, um, which um, um, there's a 40% excise tax on high-cost health plans today. You know, fancy ones, the top of the tree. That's a lot.
1: That is a big tax.
2: That's a big tax, uh, and it raises about $100 billion, Um, uh, that is put toward uh, making health care affordable, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, She would also like to expand the Affordable Care Act uh, by about $300 billion um, uh, to reach more uninsured and to establish a refundable tax credit to cover out-of-pocket health care costs for some
1: people. Mm.
2: She'd also like to reduce prescription drug costs by allowing for a public option. Um, what I think about that is this. That's fine. It's certainly fine to give people a public option. Uh, the more options people have, if they know how to use them, the better. But, but the, the difficulty is we really need to slap some, uh, in my opinion, uh, some ceilings on how much uh, uh, drug companies can charge for their drugs.
1: Yes, and yes. and
2: I know that that is a, a very controversial position to take, but I think it's it has to be done. There's absolutely no reason in the world why Americans should be paying two, three, four, five, five times, ten times the amount that a drug costs in Canada, made by the same company in the same package. There's no excuse for this. There's, I'm sorry, there's no excuse for it. Uh, it's the same in Mexico. You can get it even cheaper down there.
1: Of course, mm-hmm. it's against
2: the law to get them because, after all, it's written in Spanish and we may not understand it. <laughs> ah. Uh, but, you know, in all honesty, we need to do something about the fact that healthcare care does not respond the same way an open market responds. Because if you have to take your heart pills, you have to take them, or you'll die.
1: Mm-hmm. So i got
2: a choice. I either pay the jacked-up price here, or I disobey the law and sneak up to Canada and get their cheap drug, or I die. Not this good is, alternative. This
1: is, this
2: is, it's, it's not good alternative We have to develop a way of controlling just how high... Uh, drug companies can go in their charges to people. So I I think that that's good, but you have to get pretty tough. And that, and of course, very few people know that in Medicare, Part D, part of the legislation, and this passed under Mr. Bush, the second Mr. Bush, Mm -hmm. who was president then, uh, and uh, he created Part D Medicare, or at least he supported it, uh, which essentially makes, um, uh, covers some of the costs of drugs for people on, medi- uh, on Medicare. The problem is that in the law, it forbids Medicare, which is the largest health insurance in the United States of America, covering more people than anybody, okay?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, that the law forbids them to bargain to get the price lower. They have to pay Why? full retail. Because Why? that's what the law requires of them. Why? Because probably some pretty smart uh, uh, people lobbied Congress yes. and and uh, didn't allow right. that to happen. That's and right. And so uh, where let's say United Healthcare can go out and bargain, and they can for its um, for its customers. Um, Medicare can't. Medicare has to pay full freight. No, it's now, a travesty. However, there isn't a yes, it is a travesty. There isn't a health insurance company in this country that doesn't bargain to get the best rates possible. You know, hmm. for its clients. And, mm-hmm. and but Medicare's forbidden to do that under part D Medicare. Because the legislation forbade it. And therefore they pay the highest price. Now this is crazy. This is crazy. They're the biggest customer and they pay the highest price. What sense does that make?
1: Hello. You know. So we have a few problems. We do. I, I wanted to get into um nursing. I'm okay. curious I'm curious how it has changed over the years um particularly in the hospital environment
2: well nursing has changed so much it's almost hard to to squeak it into one program I can tell you this since I became a nurse and I'm quite an old girl now but I graduated from my program in nursing in 1965 um At that time, the average nurse only practiced three years before she, quote, retired because married women didn't work then, unless, of course, their husbands were jerks, you know, in which case they had to work. But uh, for the most part, uh, the average nurse only practiced. They retired at 23. (laughs) Okay. Now the average nurse... Yeah, now the average nurse is working uh well into her 60s, um even close to 70 before they retire. So they're a great deal more experienced than they were when I graduated, okay? Since I graduated um most of the uh which is 50 years roughly, Uh, Most of the nurses are graduating from um, college-based programs, Um, and over 50% of nurses have baccalaureates. We have a high percentage of nurses who have master's, and and the number of nurses with doctoral degrees has rapidly increased. Specialization has dramatically changed. Uh, In the last 50 years, Let's see, we had nurse anesthetists and nurse midwives uh, 50 years ago. But now we have specialists in, in gerontology, specialists in pediatrics, specialists in cardiac surgery, specialists in critical care. You know, we have nurses who have truly specialized. So you add their life years of experience with the added education, and with the number of years they're now working we have a far more competent and usable nurse workforce than we had 50 years ago
1: but so how this does it is a com- great it how, do, how does it compare to the staffing in other words um uh, let's just take well, it back take it back 10 15 years ago what was the staffing like on a typical hospital floor versus what is it now There is no typical hospital for.
2: Um, In critical care, generally speaking, it's one to two or one to three. Mm -hmm. One registered nurse for every two patients in critical care. That's pretty much an average number. Now, um, uh, there are times when one patient may require two or three nurses plus a respiratory therapist. Mm -hmm. You see... Uh, but for the most part, one nurse for every two patients is fairly normal in a critical care area. Out on the floor, there's on the various floors. Let's say a medical surgical floor. Um, the average number of patients will vary, but research shows that uh, about four or five patients is ideal for. For nurses, that is, the patients will get the best care. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when I graduated, there was let's say one RN for every fifty patients. <laughs> uh, the uh, who's to say what the best staffing was? But um, for sure, if you have more than five patients per nurse, there's a significant increase in risk for the patients. Mm -hmm. a risk that an error was made, a risk that someone won't observe a a change in health status that should be reported and and dealt with immediately. Um, There are significant risks as the number of patients per nurse goes up. And all hospitals are different. And many hospitals are different um there there is some legislation now particularly in California which legislates the number of nurses but uh, and that's fine but but understand that nurses also need other people
1: yes
2: for example we need to have respiratory therapists we need to have physical therapists mm-hmm. we need to have people who are specializing in certain areas to assist with the patient who need that kind of care? We, we also need to have uh, people who can deliver patients to other units or wards, or for uh, or for specialized tests that, that has to be done off the unit. Otherwise, you're taking that nurse away from her other four patients or her other three patients. Do you see? So we need to have our ancillary caregivers. We need people Mm -hmm. who deliver trays. We need people who clean floors. We need need people
1: Mm
2: -hmm. who do other things. To take the
1: temperatures.
2: Well, yes, uh, if we can. It doesn't matter if I take a temperature. That's at least a clinical activity. But to have me running off the floor to pick up something and carry it back up to the floor, that's crazy. Mm
0: -hmm. You've Mm -hmm. taken
2: me away from all of my patients then. Do mm-hmm. You see, so that we do need paci- patients, we need caregivers. Uh, there are also certain things that if they're done by people of their experience, are more useful. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, we need people who will come up and draw blood uh, for the various tests. Does that mean mm-hmm. I can't draw blood? No, I can draw blood. But is it the best use of my time? Not really. Mm -hmm. The best use of my time is in observing patients, in making sure they have the medicines they need, when they need them, the way they need them, in in, uh, assuring that uh, that there's uh, sufficient uh, observation of their intravenous feedings, of their IV drugs, of all these things I'm supposed to do for five people or four people. This is out in a med surge unit. When we get into the critical care unit,
1: it gets really significantly more mm-hmm. intense. Mm-hmm. So but if that, you're not, if you're not on a, if, if you're not talking about a surgical floor, just mm-hmm. a floor where you know people, um, medical floor like people have heart attacks and storms, <laughs> exactly things like exactly. that. Exactly. I've kind but, of heard. I've kind of heard but I don't know how much truth there is to it, that then you don't really see the nurses much because they have so much reporting to do um, electronically that they're, they're all in their you know, stations kind of stuck to their computers a lot of the time. Well, actually,
2: right now, there are any number of hospitals that are using smartphones to communicate with the nurses and for the nurses to communicate back to the child you know, like, or to the I physician to let them know what's going on iPads Pardon? Are they using iPads? Oh, 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 well, yes, they're using iPads. They're also using smartphones. Oh, no uh, so that this yeah, so that they have to have very uh, significant uh, protections in place because of course they're transmitting uh, very private information about patients. Mm-hmm. But yes, this is starting to happen. It's very exciting. Oh. Um uh all of my career the amount of time nurses have had to spend documenting things is just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Roughly one third of a nurse's time is spent doing documentation, whether it's handwritten, whether we're feeding it into a computer, you know whether whatever. A uh, part of this is because we have to communicate changes in the patient's status to a variety of different people.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But specifically to physicians, or to nurse practitioners, or to physician assistants, or to a respiratory therapist, or you know, or to um, OR, or wherever we we're communicating to, and then we have to be sure all of that's in the patient's chart, see, so that everybody can find out who was told what, and when they were told and what was done about it. And all of that has to be documented. And for the most part, most of this falls to nurses. Mm. Now, I think with the advent of the smartphone, if we can find a way to use it, do you realize we could talk to the computer and the computer could write all this down for us? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think how much time we'd save. Now, mm-hmm. there are programs that are in surgery right now where a surgeon can go ahead and document by talking to the computer as he does the surgery. Oh, my gosh. Yes, isn't That's, that wonderful? That is. Some of the things that, that are available technologically are just grand. There are other things that need improvement, There's, but there is a lot going on. And don't forget we have a lot more patients, and we have uh-huh. a lot more personnel than we had even ten or fifteen years ago,
1: mm-hmm. because of a lot of specialty,
2: yes, and don't forget our hospitals, because we are discharging people to home so quickly, are rapidly becoming regional intensive care centers, mm. Whereas the the old hospital where you go for a rest, trust me, you don't want to go to a hospital for a rest anymore. <laughs> you won't get any rest. You'll be lucky if you get any sleep. They they're always poking and prodding and looking in your various orifices and doing all kinds of things to you, so that it's very hard to get any rest at all in a hospital. And yeah. um, but um, but because the patients come in and out
1: so fast. That
2: alone increases the intensity. Well and is it true,
1: now, is, it true that, also, is it true with Obamacare that they have made hospitals um basically legally responsible for patients that um might return due to oh, not uh, receiving sufficient that. care?
2: Uh, yes, uh, if a patient is readmitted for the same problem within a, a forty-eight hour, seventy-two hour, whatever period after discharge, the hospital gets paid nothing for the care of the patient. But that has been true for at least fifteen years. That's not, oh that's that not was new.
1: Oh, now that's
2: not new, but it, but it certainly is true.
1: Okay.
2: That, that if I have to be readmitted for the same problem. Even if I haven't done anything they told me to, they don't get paid. Like if they send me home and they say, well, take these pills every three hours, okay? Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I go home and I throw the pills in the garbage. (laughs) Don't take any of them. Mm -hmm. And I end up back in the hospital because I didn't take my pills. But I'm coming back in with the same diagnosis. There's a good chance the hospital won't be paid anything for the second admission.
1: And that really... It's out of their hands, basically.
2: It's not a well. Way that they can do what
1: about that? Well, what are we going to do? Send All policemen
2: right. to home with them, saying make them take yeah. their pills?
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it's it's a really it's a really significant problem in that people are as responsible for their health. They're more responsible for their health than their nurses sure. and doctors are. Sure. What you, you know. If you really want to live a good, long, healthy life, I can tell you several things. Don't eat too much and get fat. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't drive too fast in your car and for sure put your seatbelt on. (laughs) Well, and there's no control I have about any of these things. And by the way, it'd be a really good thing to exercise.
1: Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. if you'd
2: exercise, let's say take a nice little 15-minute walk every day. We're not getting carried away with everything. Just a 15-minute walk every day. Right. And keep your weight under control. Don't smoke cigarettes. Put your seatbelt on. By gum, there's nothing I can do about any of these things. And there's nothing the hospital can do. Right. And there's nothing the doctor can do. And if you don't choose to do what you've been told... There's nothing they can do about that either.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet yes.
2: they're held responsible for it. See, so much of our health care is in our own hands.
1: It really, hands. It really is. And unfortunately in the United States there's a great deal of obesity which is problematic in itself because of what it does to your health.
2: Oh, yes, it makes you susceptible to a great deal more kinds of mm-hmm. illnesses, not to mention mm-hmm. the fact that it's an illness in itself, mhm, mhm it it.
1: so.
2: yes and and I have to say that how we eat and what we eat has a lot to do with it, and there's
1: very little a lot of people can do about that, mhm well, now, more so than ever, because the price of uh food the inflation of food has gone up so much. Well, that, and
2: there's just a lot of junk in food now that there didn't used
1: to be. True.
2: A lot of chemicals, a lot of insecticides. Sure. For example, I happen to be a diabetic myself personally, okay? Okay. okay. When I went to visit friends in Italy and they do all their cooking and they go to the market every day and they, 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 they don't use any preservatives or, or you know, all of this and that you know that I was able to reduce the amount of insulin I take by about 25% simply because oh, yes. of what wasn't in the food? Oh, that's amazing. They just had regular old fresh food and they cooked it every day. And it wasn't processed. And, you know, processed food has a lot of sugar and a lot of salt in it. hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to mention a whole bunch of other chemicals. In fact if you get a banana, what's in it? A banana. That's it. Mm-hmm.
1: That's mm-hmm. all that's
2: in our bananas is banana, right? But if you get banana pudding, start looking and see what all that stuff is in there because it's processed. Yes. So so um, if we look at what causes illness, a lot of times people can't control what's in their food. They can't control the fact that um, that a lot of hormones are 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 put are, are in the meat they're eating because farmers give hormones to the uh, to the cows and to the pigs uh, and mm-hmm. antibiotics and all kinds of stuff. None of which is particularly good for the people who eat the end product. Yeah. No. So so what I'm trying to say ultimately is, yes, we're responsible for our health and our weight, but there's also a lot of things going on uh, that are causing this, that we're not uh, always, let's say, to be blamed. We're to be mm-hmm. helped. Mm-hmm. But um, um, how we get the help is is quite another thing. The, one of the best things the government ever did is, is have uh, – Ingredients required to be put on packaging, not to mention nutritional information. That's wonderful because at least you know what you're eating and, Certainly and you know difficult how many nutrients be, are there.
1: It's, it's difficult to get them to adhere to GMO <laughs> yes, being, well. put, being put on packaging. <laughs>
2: Well, this is true. This is true because uh, the uh, the lobbyists don't want them to do so.
1: That's right. Uh, that's we're, back into the, we're back into the politics again.
2: We're back into the politics again, yes. And I would have to say that uh, for the most part, uh, most politicians don't know a whole lot about health care. Uh, they rely upon their staffers, and their staffers rely for the most part upon The people who are advising them, which are more and more uh, often, they happen to be uh, non-medical people.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So in um, in closing our interview today, do you think there's a possibility of Obamacare ever being repealed? And even if if it were, what would be the alternative?
2: Well, if there isn't an alternative, all bloody hell will break loose. Uh, People will want to have care, and that goes without saying. Um, Is it possible that it could be repealed? It's possible. Is it likely? No, it's not likely. Can it be fixed? Yes. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Will it be fixed? We shall see. It depends Uh, Mm-hmm. Now, if Mr. Mr. Trump has said he's going to repeal it, well, of course,
1: he can't. Well, Congress can't. He
2: says Congress.
1: a lot of things that he can't do. Yes.
2: <laughs> but well, yeah. But I, it, it'd be the same. Just like uh, Mrs. Clinton said, she's going to do a few of the things. I said, well, this means it's high on her agenda. It means yes. also with Mr. Trump, it's high on his agenda. Does mm-hmm. it mean it'll happen? Not necessarily. It's Congress. Right that passes laws That's and right. and congress and it takes quite a bit for a president to to overcome what congress wants
1: so well, it has to go um, through the house of representatives first then it goes to congress
2: <laughs> well congress uh, the, consists of the house of representatives and the senate mm-hmm. uh, so that uh congressmen uh could be either senators or uh members of the house uh, but uh, but let's put it this way. They have a lot more power than people give them credit for, so it would behoove us to pay it, some attention to something other than simply and only uh, the presidential election, because our presidents mm-hmm. are significantly limited as to what they can and can't do, which might be a comfort under some circumstances
1: hmm mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on what it is, sure, true. Depending
2: upon what it is, yes. Yes, now, they are, they have a great deal of power. As I'm not saying they're not important, they're very important. And they can get us into a war in, in two two seconds flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that has enormous implications. But uh, for the most part, when it comes to domestic programs, it's going to have to go through Congress. So whatever is done will be a congressional decision, and uh, the president can make known his or her uh, agenda, and uh, and Congress may or may not pay any attention to it. But True. at least if the president's for it, uh, that gives us a voice at the top level.
1: Uh, so. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leah Curtin. It's been a pleasure having you on our show. I know you've enjoyed it. A, definitely. Um, I I've learned so much have. from you. Oh, learned you. so much from you. Thank you.
2: And may I say goodbye to all your listeners?
1: Absolutely.
2: Then I shall say goodbye and good health. <laughs>
1: Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, listeners, that um, concludes our show for today. And please join us again next Thursday for another informative show. Bye-bye.
0: We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book Got Cancer? Now What?